So most employers by now have um, social media policies or some kind of language that talks about if you post something online, um, you know, you should have a disclaimer saying that these posts are your own personal opinion. They don't represent the company. You shouldn't be identifying yourself as speaking on behalf of the company. So if you do those things and someone posts it and they're not wearing the company uniform, then then it's probably a little less um, or a little more risky to terminate someone for off-duty posts like that where, where they're trying to be very clear that these are their own personal opinions. Um, however, if you don't have, if you're silent or if you don't have anything telling them that, you know, if all of a sudden you end up with a ton of one-star reviews because people found out where they worked and now they're slamming the business. Yeah. That certainly could, could be legitimate grounds for, for, for discipline based on that. But as I've said before, any kind of discipline for off duty conduct is going to be very risky. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. In September, a video posted by TikTok user Playgirl Lynn went viral. In the video, she claimed that she was fired from her job as a nurse after her sexually oriented OnlyFans page was discovered by coworkers. She claimed that a manager told her that her coworkers were looking at her content when they were supposed to be working and the company couldn't have that. Earlier this year, a New Jersey appeals court ruled that a healthcare system there did not violate the law when it terminated an employee for criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement online. But then again, earlier this year, a federal jury ordered Southwest Airlines to pay a former flight attendant over $5 million for firing her for her pro-life social media posts, which the company said were, quote, highly offensive in nature and in violation of their social media policy. And of course, last year, many of those identified in photographs and videos from the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol were terminated by their employers. Joining me today to discuss when an employee's off-duty conduct may be legally actionable by an employer and when it isn't is David Miklas. David is a labor and employment attorney exclusively representing Florida employers. He is a co-author of the premier legal textbook on Florida employment law and an avid writer and speaker. He is also a very thought-provoking and engaging LinkedIn follow. And now you've hit the big time. Welcome to Good Morning HR, David. Thanks, Mike. I'm really happy to be here. So as we talk about employers' ability to take action based on an employee's off-duty conduct, Let's start by talking about the legal issues, the can you do it, and then we can dive into the practical issues, the whole should you do it. Sure. A, a lot of this stuff seems to deal with at-will status, right? Is that is that where we should start the conversation and understanding that, or is there something else that we should talk about? Yeah, I, I think um, most business owners and HR professionals would assume, hey, we're employment at will. We can fire for any reason at all. They always forget the last part as long as it's not an illegal or discriminatory reason. Um, 
so so that definitely is going to be something that we need to talk about. But I think before we get there, one of the key things is whether it's a public employer or a private employer. When I say public, I'm not talking about that they uh, issued uh, stocks. I'm talking about that they're a city, a county, a school district, a water district, um, because only public employers, uh, when you work for a public employer, that's the only time that you might have some First Amendment protections. Um, basically, you don't have any of those First Amendment protections in the private sector. Um, and, and when we're talking about First Amendment, this only protects you from government actions. Uh, what that really means is like a police officer cannot arrest you because you wore a MAGA hat or a you know, Black Lives Matter uh, hat. Um, but your boss generally can fire you for that, especially if it's a, a private sector. Now, the exceptions are one, the big one is if, it, if your employer is a is the government, is a, a city, a county, a school district. And then there's a, a different test that's applied there. So basically, in order for you to have First Amendment protection for a public employer, it has to involve an issue of public concern. And then your speech has to also outweigh the government employer's interest. And then outside of that First Amendment protection, what we also need to talk about is concerted activity. Um, we call it PCA, protected concerted activity. And that applies both in the private and public sector. Almost all public employers are still covered by their state's uh, equivalent of the NLRA, but all the private sectors are covered by the National Labor Relations Act. And, and concerted activity refers to two or more employers uh, taking, uh, sorry, employees taking actions to help or protect each other with respect to employment conditions or terms of employment. So if what they're doing is talking about terms or conditions of employment, then that can all of a sudden bring it within protected speech. And then a third exception is um, if it involves a disparate impact or has a disparate impact or an unfair impact on one or more protected classes. So for instance, if only workers of a, of a particular race are affected by an employer's policy, you know, like um, we, we're not going to you know, let you wear Nike footwear because we don't want you to support Colin Kaepernick. And if only black people are, are disciplined for that, then that can have a, a disparate impact on race, you know, based on race, basically. So that can violate Title VII. And then the fourth one would be state laws. Um, in Florida, we don't have a state law, but there is, in, at least in Florida, um, one county, it's uh, Broward County down where Fort Lauderdale is, that has a, a very specific county ordinance that uh, protects political affiliation. Um, nowhere else, uh, there's not a state law in Florida, but very, um, you know, this is something that can be anywhere else around the country if you're listening. Um, you know, your city or county may have that and your state, in fact, may have it. Um, a lot of states don't have it, though. So we kind of covered a lot of things. Yeah, and I think that that last one, talking about Broward County, is important. Uh, to A lot of employers don't realize that their city or their county has some sort of human rights ordinance and uh, they can be very broadly written, very hard to interpret. But the truth is, if you can avoid being in front of that local non-elected group of, of folks who've never actually written a paycheck and, and you know, had to sign the bottom of one, um, are the, that's uh, you can you know you want to avoid that if you can. Sure, and and one thing a lot of business owners don't appreciate, and HR professionals also, is even if a business is small, is so small that it's not covered by like Title Seven. If you don't have fifteen employees, you think, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about this law. A lot of those city and county ordinances, they drop that protection well below fifteen. I've seen them, you know, sometimes five employees. So uh, you know that's where. It, 
you know, you have coverage where, you know, small, small businesses think, oh, I don't have to comply with any of these laws. I'm too small. Well, those city and county ordinances may drop those numbers down real low. Sometimes one or two employees might trigger it. So it's always a best practice to still even if you, if you don't think you're covered by the federal laws to still like when you listen to a podcast like this, still, you know, follow these best practices, even with a very small business. And so if it's not, if there's not some protection, either constitutional or legislative or a local ordinance, generally in the U S most employees are at will, which mean, you know, if they're not public employees, which means that I guess the employer can terminate them for, for any reason, for a reason or no reason. Uh, that's as long as it's not in violation that, that, actual reason for termination, not just the given reason, but the actual reason is, uh, is not a protected, uh, you know, activity or, or, or because that person's in a protected class. Is that about right for at will? I, I'd modify it just slightly. The way sure. I tell my clients is that employment at will means that you can terminate an employee for any reason at all or no reason, so long as it's not an illegal reason, which means either a discriminatory reason or a retaliatory reason. Now, even if you're not covered by Title VII or, or most of those discrimination laws, you still can violate this uh, if, if, for instance, um, you may be covered by OSHA or you may be covered by some other law that prohibits retaliation. Um, one of the questions I always ask small businesses is, um, did your employee get hurt? Do they have a workers' comp claim in the last few months? If so, all of a sudden you might have a workers' comp retaliation claim um, if you fire them shortly after they had a workers' comp claim. Um, similarly, if they reported... Maybe they drive a vehicle and the tires are bald, and that you know that's a, that's a health or safety concern uh, that could be an OSHA violation. Um, and you say, okay, well we're not covered by OSHA, but still, there's a lot of things that, that involve health or safety that give employees protection. If they complain about something that you know health or safety wise, hey, I think we should be wearing masks here with COVID, that may bring them within some protection. And then if you have adverse employment action such as a termination shortly after that, even if you think you're on good grounds. You still may have to fight about it to prove what was that really pretext or, or was that the real reason? And you know, whenever you fight in court, things get really expensive. When you posted, you brought the Playgirl Jaylene uh, TikTok account uh, to my attention in a LinkedIn post, and I that was about a week or two ago, and I went back and looked at it today and read through the comments and the replies, and quite honestly, it was shocking to me. And it's hard to surprise me anymore, but it was shocking how many people who had HR in their title said, oh, that's totally illegal. You can't fire somebody for that, for their off-duty conduct. And unless they're in one of those four states posting something, you know, uh, you know, I, I think she should probably get a medal for doing it. But posting, you know, some, you know, sexy pictures on the Internet, except for a handful of states, is you can fire somebody for that. And uh, and. For the the just the extreme certainty with which people were posting that it's just illegal uh, was shock. You know, was really surprising to me. I, I agree, Mike. And uh, you know, the, the the facts of that case are a little odd. I mean, this particular employee actually her her side hustle is this nursing job. Her main job is the OnlyFans account. And there's a quote in there. She said, "You never know." what you're going to make on OnlyFans. One month you can make $600 and one month you can make 50,000. It really depends. So, you know, that that's kind of a fluke, but frankly, th that really is a weird case because I mean, the facts of it involved, they fired her for 
ostensibly creating adult conduct, I mean, content, but she wasn't viewing it. She wasn't creating the content on the clock. She was, she was actually working and it was her coworkers who were wasting time and looking at what might be viewed as porn um, during the workday. Um, I'm not assuming that these are the, the actual facts and, you know, who knows it's all one side at this point, but if that's really the facts, then you might be wondering, well, well if we're firing people, why, why don't we fire them all? Or why don't we just fire the people that are only looking at the porn on the clock and the other lady's doing her job. She's not, you know, apparently doing anything improper or illegal. Now, you know, if, if the employer was a, a church, um, maybe things are a little bit different, <laughs> but, uh, or if there's a morality clause or a, a no mo- moonlighting clause, that might be different. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's, I don't want to give too much credibility to a TikTok post as far as being, you know, a reliable uh, source of information, but we are in 2022. So maybe it is, but the, the idea that she was terminated because it was a distraction to the other employees. Uh, and there was another case uh, in Indiana, I think uh, a year or two ago where a mechanic at a Honda dealership was uh, terminated because uh, some of her co-workers found out about her uh, OnlyFans account. And, uh, and uh, you know, again, it was the same thing. It's too distracting. Everybody's got their phones out, uh, you know, looking at your nudies. And so I, uh, I definitely need to go back and do a lot more research about these cases. But it's, you know, it seems like generally the, uh, it's, if that's really what management said, they, I would think in those cases, especially with, you know, where it's sexual content and, and a, co- a female coworker, I would be more worried about the sexual harassment lawsuit and the failure to, uh, to respond appropriately as an employer, not against uh, the person who's posting content privately on their own time. And it's behind a paywall than those other employees. What, how would you how would you counsel an employer who brought you to th- this kind of issue and concern to you? I think your assessment about sexual harassment is is probably the the main one that I would have also. In general, I would be very cautious about disciplining any employees for off-duty social media posts. Doesn't mean that you can't do it. In fact, very many times I've green-lighted these these disciplines, in fact, even terminations, but they are they are risky. Um, and you should consult with an experienced employment attorney if you're going to to have what what the plaintiff's attorneys always call the death sentence of employment law termination. Um, there's a lot of other things you could do less than termination, but once you terminate an employee, they really that's the riskiest time. That's when they go to the EEOC or the Department of Labor, or their National Labor Relations Board, or a plaintiff's attorney. That is a very risky time. And if you're not on rock solid ground, even if you are, I mean, like like in this case, even if the facts are the way that are said. Even if they can legitimately terminate Jaylene, look, you and I haven't said the name of the employer, but it's out there. And this is a PR nightmare. I mean, this this, right. this is not what you want in the, you know, when someone Googles your company, you don't want this type of thing popping up. Um, so, I mean, no one from the employer is, this isn't really good for the employer to end up in this kind of news. Um, I probably would not have advised them to terminate her. Certainly, they should have done more of an investigation to determine how widespread is this. And if they see everyone's doing it, you know, can you really pick out the one person who's today doing her job and, you know, giving a free pass to the other people? And I don't know, are all the other people black and this one's white or the other people men and she's a woman? You know, there's a lot of issues there if if you're giving free passes to some some of these people. Yes, uh, especially if you're, you know, 
if you've probably got a, a hostile work environment policy that prohibits on its face, you know, being on company property, you know, looking at, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexually oriented materials. And if, if that's what's really going on. And who's looking at it? I think you raised right. the point. Is it a supervisor or a manager? I mean, if it's a manager, then they bind the company essentially. And, and you know, you may not get your defenses at that point. I mean, you still have the Farragher Ellerith, but I mean, you know, at some point, the top level folks, they are the company. Um, you can have, uh, the company can have vicarious liability if it's, you know, the CEO or, you know, the owner of the company doing this kind of stuff too. So, I mean, yeah, you know, once you have a sex harassment policy or just a general harassment policy, it really needs to be followed consistently for everyone at all levels. And a lot of companies in their social media policy or in their general, you know, handbook and, and you know, general conduct policy have something called professionalism, some standards for professionalism. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of those and I have too, and they're always ambiguous and it, and they often give the the manager who's had it with an employee uh but hasn't previously documented it and taken care of their business uh you know this this hammer that they can suddenly drop on somebody and say this is unprofessional um let's t talk a little bit about professionalism yeah yeah i was gonna say i, I want to talk about that just briefly because right now it's an extremely dangerous time to terminate someone for a lack of professionalism um because we're under the Biden administration, just like it was under the Obama administration. If you look at what both of these administrations have done uh, with the National Labor Relations Board, they are very pro-employee and um, Biden even more so than, than Obama. And what this means is that if an employer has handbook policies that um, in and of themselves, even if you don't enforce them, even if you don't discipline employees, just simply having them may violate the National Labor Relations Board and part of or act. And part of what I'm talking about is if you have a policy on its face that appears to be neutral, but if it stifles employees from talking and, and discussing terms and conditions of employment, it may be viewed as illegal. So if you have a policy that gives, you know, it's just so vague and says, you know, uh, discussions um, that are unprofessional will result in discipline. Well, that very well might include you know, protected discussions. You can complain about uh, how much money you're making or your vacation time and all that. And that's absolutely protected. The employer may not like the fact that you go on Facebook or LinkedIn and complain, I only get paid $11 an hour, but that's, you know, if it's an employee, that's absolutely protected. If it's concerted, say, hey, we should get paid. You know, if you hear people saying we, we and us, that's concerted. And then the protected is terms and conditions and privileges of employment. So that's why I say, you, you might get uh, the blessing from your employment lawyer for terminating some off-duty uh, social media conduct, but you might not. And, and I certainly would, would discipline someone uh, and terminate someone, for instance, if they do racist comments, especially if they're wearing the employer's logo. Like if they're wearing a uniform with the employer and they're saying nasty things that are you know, basically going to come back and, and, and put the employer, the, the business or the company in, in bad light because they're wearing that logo saying racist things or, or, or you know, very offensive things. Those those are much more um, likely to get the approval of termination. What is the line for where an employee can disparage their employer online? Um, can, you know, if I just go online and post... Uh, that my employer uh, is a jerk and and they create substandard products. Uh, 
um, but no other employees chime in. And so it's just strictly me talking to the wilderness uh, of social media. At that point, do I, am I risking concerted activity or is it when another employee jumps in and says, yeah, you're right, our employer is a jerk, we deserve better conditions? I think in your example, it's probably not concerted and may not even be protected uh, conduct. I think the triggers for me are if you hear we and us, that, that tends to be, you know, think about a union. It, it, what, what does a union do? They stand up for all of their unit members. Um, so if even if you, there is no union there, if someone is trying to stand up for their coworkers, hey, we don't get paid enough here, we should be getting paid more, or hey, we don't like the Supreme Court decision on abortion, you know, we think that we should be entitled to to get some more benefits to get abortion access. That all sounds like protected and, and concerted conduct. And and so so to me, the the line is is it concerted and protected conduct? And if the answers are yes, then more than likely it it's going to be off limits for termination, or at least it's going to be highly risky. And this means the employees can use bad language. They can call you F word. And I mean, there's a lot of things that they can do. I, I think the Supreme Court language was has to be opprobrious or, or something. It really has to be really far out there um, for them to, to say it's not protected. Uh, but generally, there's a lot of uh, speech that can be protected as long as it ends up falling within the concerted protected activity. And we're talking about private uh, companies here and also nonprofits that they they're covered by the national labor relations act also. And let's take a quick break. Good morning. HR is brought to you by imperative premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 23 years ago, I founded imperative to help risk averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy to understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes it means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. And outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know your customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles in firms in which they are considering making private equity placements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved and we help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 65 and enter the keyword Miklas. That's M-I-K-L-A-S. And now back to my conversation with David Miklas. And then I mentioned the Southwest Airlines judgment, $5 million uh, for, uh, you know, what were seen as, uh, you know, very pro-life, anti-abortion uh, statements, uh, uh, postings by a, an employee. And in that case, it was, you know, the company stepped on her right to religious uh, uh, expression. Talk about how, how does, where does that come in? And, uh, you know, does that mean, I mean, almost everything can be classified as some kind of religious or ethical consideration. So when, when does it become a protected religious 
statement or conduct that uh, an employer needs to be aware of. So the religion, it triggers two things. One, the First Amendment covers religion, but also I think what we're talking about mainly is going to be uh, under Title VII for religious discrimination. Um, that's protected also. In, in the most dangerous areas that I see in 2022 deal with LGBT rights versus religious rights. And, um, and, and we've seen a couple clashes so far, and, and I'm certain we're going to see some more um, because both of these groups tend to be very um, vocal and they hold their beliefs uh, sincerely. And frankly, they've got a lot of money uh, for special interest to, to fund litigation. Um, but when it comes to religion, and we've seen this during the pandemic, um, you know, for, for places that decided to have a, a mask, I'm sorry, a vaccine mandate, um, what the EEOC has said is pretty much if an employee uh, says that they have a sincerely held religious belief, you don't really question, is it a sincerely held belief? You just assume it is sincerely held. Now, there are some very unique times where you can challenge it, but at the end of the day, you know, just because someone like, like for instance, if they used to be clean shaven and now all of a sudden have a beard and say, oh, well, I don't need to follow your dress code policy because because I, you know, my religion says, you know, I need to grow a beard. And someone says, well, for 10 years, you never had a beard. Well, people find Jesus, you know, people, you know, adopt a different religion. Sometimes maybe a family member dies or they give a birth to a child. And all of a sudden, they're, they're all of a sudden are much more religious than they ever used to be. That happens. So you, it's really not enough to say, well, you know, you never used to go to church on Sundays. And now all of a sudden you want to go, well, you know, these things happen. So the, the more cautious approach and what the EEOC advises is that you assume that it is a sincerely held religious belief, unless unless you've got rock solid proof to otherwise. And so what, what this means is that you don't ask them for a letter from the priest or imam or, or you know, the temple or anything at all like that. You just assume that what they're asking for is a sincerely held religious belief. And then you determine, OK, so what are they asking for? They're asking for a reasonable accommodation. What's your obligation? Same thing it is under uh, the ADA. You have to engage in an interactive process to determine whether or not there's a reasonable accommodation that you can provide. And maybe you can, maybe you can't, but you at least have to engage in that interactive process to start that. So maybe, um, you know, the, the issue is, well, you know, I don't think I should have to use this bathroom because uh, a transgender person wants to use the bathroom and I don't feel, you know, these are going to be um, the fights that we're going to be having. And we're, we've already started having some of these bathroom fights, um, but but where I see the the problems are where you don't hear both sides and you just assume one side is correct and their rights trump the others. And I see people all the time saying, oh, well, we can have the LGBT flag up and it, you know, it may offend some people. And well, too bad. We're having it. That's what we believe as a company. Well, that, that too bad. And, and the closed minded, you know, thinking might get you sued under, you know, for religious discrimination also. So it's very uh, important that you, you try and keep an open mind and you, you realize that there are going to be competing rights that we have in the workplace. And as in, uh, you know, when it comes to off-duty conduct, those expressions of uh, religious opinions or, or opinions, you know, that are affected or, or colored by one's, one's faith, like abortion. Uh, and you can, you know, an abortion is a great one because uh, I've heard uh, arguments, uh, you know, using the same, you know, the, the same uh, religious text. Uh, for both sides of that issue. And, uh, but, you know, in the case of the Southwest Airlines case, 
it was, you know, it was a pretty graphic and that most people I think, uh, would think is when they just, you know, saw it, it was distasteful. And, but the jury found that under, you know, under the, the religious uh, expression protections they had, this, this person had under title seven, uh, it was, it was protected at, you know, it was a protected uh, post. At what point does, can the company say though, this is just bad for our reputation? You know, this person has been identified as, you know, being associated with our company and whether it's bad taste or just, you know, quite honestly, just not great politically for us to have somebody on on board like this. uh, Where do they draw that line? When can they do that? So most employers by now have um, social media policies or some kind of language that talks about if you post something online, um, you know, you should have a disclaimer saying that these posts are your own personal opinion. They don't represent the company. You shouldn't be identifying yourself as speaking on behalf of the company. So if you do those things and someone posts it and they're not wearing the company uniform, then then it's probably a little less uh, or a little more risky to terminate someone for off-duty posts like that where, where they're trying to be very clear that these are their own personal opinions. Um, However, if you don't have, if you're silent or if you don't have anything telling them that, you know, if all of a sudden you end up with a ton of one star reviews because people found out where they worked and now they're slamming the business. Yeah. That certainly could, could be legitimate grounds for, for, for discipline based on that. But as I've said before, any kind of discipline for off duty conduct is going to be very risky. And it really needs to be analyzed on a case-by-case basis because it really is not one size fits all. And you, you might be thinking, oh, well, once we do this, we create precedent. Not not necessarily. It really depends on what's going on in this one case. And, and it may create precedent, but more than likely, the specific facts of this case may not be replicated anywhere else. So I, I would just caution um, to, to make sure that you consult with your employment counsel um, before you you pull the trigger on a termination, especially, I mean, it's completely different if if they're on duty and they're posting stuff to social media and their job is not to do that. Um, that that's usually an easier call, especially if it's like porn and they're doing it in the bathroom or whatever. Um, but but if it's off duty conduct, especially if if it triggers any of these other rights, like the the, the January sixth, I mean, you know, the the right to free assembly and all that. But now that one gets into some more complicated things because you know it's is it inciting a riot, all those kinds of things. Those are listen. Whenever you have a complicated issue, business owners and HR should not be making these decisions quickly. They sh- should be involving a lot of thought and careful analysis. And usually that means at least a phone call to their employment attorney. And it may be a 10 minute call, maybe a very quick call, but, but if you don't do that very quick call, you know, you're going to be wishing you did late, later on if you end up getting sued over it. But they're probably billing in half hour increments. So just get ready. <laughs> I don't know. I bill every six minutes. <laughs> yeah. So apart, we've talked a lot about social media and, and, uh, you know, very public, uh, you know, performative behavior. But what about other off-duty conduct like moonlighting? Uh, You know, can an employer just tell an employee, no, you can't have another job. This is the only, this could be your only source of income. You owe us that, you know, and if even, I don't care if it's washing dishes at a restaurant and you're an accountant by day, uh, you just can't moonlight. And, you know, or is that, uh, you know, is that something an employer can do? In general, I think, yes, assuming they're paying at least minimum wage, um, you know, it gets into if, if they have a restrictive covenant that prohibits them from, from working 
Um, you know, every state's a little bit different on that. Some states completely like California, the Republic of California makes it almost impossible to, to do certain things. Uh, but in general, what you described, I would never advise. Um, it's, it's really uh, strict and it's really unnecessary. Um, what's more appropriate, what I see more often is saying, and, and actually having a policy talking about this, that, um, you know, so long as if you decide to have another job, you let us know what it is. That's the first thing. Um, and as long as it doesn't um, take you away from your duties here and, and there's no conflict, then, then we're fine with it. That's what I see most of the time, because certainly if someone is, you know, not showing up to your job because they're working another job, that could be a problem, especially if you hired them to work, you know, weekends and all of a sudden they're never working on weekends because they're working, you know, McDonald's on the weekends or Uber, whatever they're doing. Um, that could be a problem. Also, if they're working for your direct competitor and maybe they have access to confidential information for you and then they go for the competitor and say, oh, well, you know, why don't you change the price of this is what, you know, Bob is doing you know, that, that, that obviously is a conflict. So as long as, you know, you let them know those things, I, I certainly think it's, it's permissible usually to, to prohibit, um, second jobs or moonlighting. Um, I don't think it's feasible to, to completely ban someone from working anywhere else, um, unless you need them to work in, you know, 70 hours a week. And, you know, usually you have to be paying a lot of money to get them to commit to that. And a lot of that is, goes back, you know, apart from trade secrets and competitive information, a lot of it just goes back to managing their performance while they're at your workplace. And that's all you have to do. I mean, if 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 they're working a, a shift, a, you know, overnight someplace and they show up sleepy and can't do their job, then manage that. And, let, you know, and they, they can quickly make, make their own decision as to whether, you know, they're going to improve their performance here or make a commitment someplace else. Now, Mike, what we're seeing in 2022 is uh, something we, we haven't seen a lot of before. With a lot of people working from home during the pandemic, some people have discovered that they could work two full-time jobs and obtain two full-time salaries with neither employer knowing about this. Right. And, um, and we're starting to see problems with this where all of a sudden you're asking them to come back to work and they don't want to come back to work because frankly, they can't, they can't because they're juggling a second right. job where they have to be responding to their second employer all the time. And, and we're going to see some more of these kind of problems. Um, and I know this didn't get into your, your off-duty conduct, but, but uh, it's going to be a, a tangential problem that we're going to see out of this pandemic. And really the question there is, okay, so we've got an exempt employee who's not clocking in and out. When is he off-duty? What is off duty when you never step foot into a, a workplace? Your workplace is your house, and um, That's as, you know the general rule is: as long as you get the work done, we're not going to yell at you. In those cases where I've heard about companies having, you know, individual employees having two, two or three jobs and being able to execute them all, and you know, basically, you know, doing uh, Tim Ferriss's, you know, four four hour work week uh, with three different jobs. The reality is, my question is, where the hell are their managers? I mean, you're paying this person a certain amount of salary, and either you you tragically underestimated the amount of work you were going to have for this person when you hired them, or you're not you're, you're just not utilizing the person you know the company's resources very well. That's a management problem as much as it is this employee. The employees just realized. I can do what they've asked me to do in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Now the way I've seen it in my practice is that these people get caught because their performance isn't that great. Um, they're substandard or just barely scraping by the bottom. And then we're talking about disciplining them and asking them to come in for meetings 
And frankly, they can't come into meetings because they're working the second job or third job. So they're trying to figure out how can I avoid going into either workplace and how can I minimize all of my possible meetings so that I can, you know, get 16 hours of work done in five hours. And the way to do that is to have no meetings and, and just communicate only by email. And I say no meetings, I'm saying no Zoom meetings either because they may be scrambling and, and, and it kills them when all of a sudden both employers schedule a Zoom meeting at the same time. And, they're, they're, you know, that that's where you kind of catch them. And, um, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this <laughs> coming out of the pandemic. One last area of off-duty conduct that comes up in my world a lot, because I, I consult with a lot of employers around their use of, of criminal history and how they, they, they make those decisions, is arrest information. Okay, so it's uh, Monday morning uh, and, uh, you know, Bob's wife calls and says, uh, Bob's sick today and uh, won't be able to make it in. And something sounds weird. And then they often call us and say, hey, can you just look and see if you can, if Bob happens to be in the local county jail? And, uh, or Bob calls himself and says, <coughs> I'm sick. And, and there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of noise in the background. So it's like he's in a gymnasium. Then, uh, and sure enough, they are. And then the argument is often, well, he's not convicted. And so you can't take, it's illegal. That's the one I hear a lot. It's illegal to consider an arrest in the employment context. But of course, the EEOC, even as recently as 2012, has said, no, it's not. It's just, uh, it's got to be reasonable for the employer to believe the person engaged in that conduct. And then the employer's got to decide if it's relevant and all of that. Uh, when, and it goes back mostly to reputational impact is where I talk to employers the most about it. If the employee's not available, he's not available and you manage his performance that way. But, you know, if we've got uh, a driver and he got a DWI this weekend and we should have a policy that says you have to tell us if you have any, you know, uh, engagement with law enforcement or you're arrested. But, you know, where do you, you know, those are related to the performance of the job. But when it's just reputation, you know, this we're an accounting firm and we can't have somebody who, um, you know, was arrested for, you know, possession of child pornography. That's, that's one we've, we've actually dealt with, uh, in, in the recent history. So, you know, we can't, we just don't want that, that, that smear on our reputation. You know, we love you as an accountant. You're great. We, you know, we wish you the best, but we can't do that. What would you tell an employer in that condition where they just said, we just can't, we can't have every news story saying, you know, Solomon brothers or whatever. I think your example of, of kitty porn is a great example because it, it makes it easy. Um, and again, here's a situation where you have two differences. If you have a public employer and a private employer, the public employer has to consider due process, which a private employer doesn't have to do. So the due process right means that usually you have to have a, a pre-termination hearing. You know, if you're taking away uh, something, you know, uh, the, their job and money, then, then they have certain rights that private employees don't have. So what this usually means, and you'll see this if if a teacher gets uh, arrested or a, a law enforcement officer gets arrested, they'll usually suspend them with pay during the investigation. And that that's usually because then they have to have a board meeting or some other meeting later on to suspend them without pay um, because that's a taking and they have to have time to, 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 to challenge that. Um, and frankly, sometimes I will advise a public employer to go ahead and, and, and suspend them without pay immediately with the understanding if we're wrong, then yeah, we may have to pay them back. But it's, 
initially, all that news is coming right now. Today, tomorrow, the next day. It's not coming a month or two from now. It's coming right now. And it, it sometimes is, is better to, to understand, okay, we may have to pay someone two months back pay um, if we got this wrong. But we'd rather say, yeah, they're no longer with us. We fired them. Or, you know, they're suspended without pay. So there's no discussion. Oh, it's a vacation and all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to the private sector, it's a very easy decision. Um, you know, if, if someone's accused of kiddie porn and, you know, if they're a, a teacher aide or, you know, a private school, those are very, very easy decisions. Usually they'll fire. And, um, you know, even if it's just an arrest, because what's the consequence? The consequence is a lot less for, for a private sector because there's no rights to those hearings necessarily. Um, and at the end of the day, if if it's terrible PR, um, most businesses will decide to to roll the dice on maybe we have to back pay. Maybe we got it wrong, um, but but we're going to stop the bleeding right now. If you want to be ultra conservative, then, then maybe what you do is suspend um, with pay pending the investigation. And that means you can do your own internal investigation. And if you are able to interview witnesses and obtain your own private information, no matter how long law enforcement takes or no matter what their conclusion is, you may have enough information on your own, especially if it happened in the workplace. If they were looking at kiddie porn in your workplace and you have, you know, the internet proof of what websites they went to and all that kind of stuff, you may have rock solid evidence to terminate them. doesn't matter what law enforcement does. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into this, but yeah, you still can, can uh, make terminations when it comes to really egregious things or, or usually a lot easier decisions. Well, the tough decisions are someone just gets a DUI or arrested for marijuana. I mean, right. I'm not endorsing those, but so many people have those kind of arrests. It doesn't mean that they're convicted of them. They may enter pretrial intervention. There's so many other outcomes that at the end of the day, it may not be so so offensive to everyone else, especially on a jury, um, if you have to have to litigate it later on. Yeah. And it, those are cases, I think, where it's less reputation and it's more job related. And so you have to ask, is it reasonable to believe that person engaged in the conduct? And how does that conduct relate to the job? And, and uh, that's what I'm driving home to employers all the time. It's, you know, we're seeing, especially with marijuana, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, it's off duty. Marijuana is a perfect off duty conduct uh, test because, you know, precious few people who test positive for marijuana are really smoking on the job or even impaired. We don't have a good test for impairment. We've just got a test for the metabolites. And so uh, I'm seeing a lot more of our clients taking marijuana off their pre-employment I am too. testing, but keeping it on their post-accident cause testing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm post-accident for cause. Yep. So that's, it's an interesting world. Yes. And, and, and who knows if uh, federal law changes and, and the CSA changes, then it may not be a, a crime to possess it anymore. And, and the, it'll be a, a sea change. The world will change overnight if, if that federal law changes. And, you know, but I tell employers who, you know, treat it like alcohol. If they show up impaired, if they're, you know, for whatever reason, they're, they're impaired under the job, then we'll, we're going to test them and, and, and see if, you know, you know, but do those breath alcohol tests too. And an excuse I'm seeing now is is that well, it, yeah, there's some THC, but I didn't even take marijuana. I, I took CBD oil. Well, you know, CBD oil is not even regulated. So even though it says no THC or very very low amounts of THC, who knows what's in there? And frankly, right. they could be smoking a bong and just tell you it's CBD oil. So I mean, yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, marijuana is like the the big gray area right now. And at the end of the day, you have to decide. Is this something that we want to be leading the country and fighting over, spending $100,000 on a lawsuit that we might lose? 
um, you know, to make this point or maybe give them a second chance. You know, there, there's a lot of wheeling and dealing that goes on with marijuana right now. And beyond the lawsuit, do we want to lose a competent employee uh, who actually shows up and does their job over something, you know, that's not affecting their impact? Yeah. And who knows? Maybe that marijuana is being taken because because they have a disability and it's easy. You know, there, there's so many issues with marijuana that that really muddies the water. I have cautioned a lot of employers. Let, let's pump the brakes before you fire this great employee over marijuana. You know, yeah, a zero tolerance for marijuana really is, is very uh, unrealistic in 2022. It's maybe 10, 20 years ago, different story. But right now, you're just going to lose a lot of talent if you have a zero tolerance policy. Now, if you're driving big rigs and all that, that's a different story. You know, if you have under DOT regs, you have to. Right. And that's where we'll leave it. Thanks for your time today, David. Sure. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up, 